peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. We are back. We are all together. The full band. Yeah. Morrison. <laughs> Jackson. Yes. And Brown. I don't think Danielle ever goes anywhere. Nobody, you know, she doesn't want to be known. That's how that right. goes. She's like the <laughs> secret partner each week. But uh, <laughs> she giggles in the chat. Uh, but uh, it's good to have everyone back together. A uh, little bit later in the program, uh, James Cadogan will join us. He's the executive director of the National Basketball Coalition for Racial Justice, which is totally different from the NBA Foundation, which we right. just celebrated their one-year one anniversary a few weeks ago. They were formed for this very particular focus, which you know kind of aligns with our creation here mm-hmm. on Progress. So it'll be great to talk with James about their last year of work and how they're looking so uh, finitely at um, voting rights and making sure a lot of energy is in that space and rightfully so. Um, we're, we need to discuss our girl. Yeah. Shakari Richardson. And by the way, I'm all over the place as we take to Shakari. You can go so many ways. Man. Listen, this Uncle Ben's um, goatee that I'm rocking speaks to some of my view. Yeah. Uh, the fact that I am the husband and father of track stars yeah. speaks a bit to my view. But honestly, you know what really frames my thinking? I look forward to having this conversation with you. Competition. Oh, yeah. And being a pro. Yep. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Right now, this one tickled my fancy when Uh-oh. it showed up on the show sheet with the fresh Pernell Brown just producing like a madman. Um, that if there's a headline, media access during the NFL season, and I have true access, beyond forward access, but <laughs> actual NFL access yeah. with Kirk Morrison, that we need to discuss this news that came uh, to our attention. The NFL informed its clubs this week uh, that effective immediately locker room access while players are present on game day will be limited to 50 people and no media unless they're club affiliated, by the way, right, is the connection there, which does not bother me as a team employee at all. <laughs> um, the, the feeling is, is that this isn't a surprise given uh, current COVID scenarios, but the old whispering in somebody's ear next to their locker, Kirk, why don't you give me the, the 411 on what coaches scenario or the quarterback controversy or your contract? That stuff's hard to get on Zoom. Yeah. Coverage is going to be different this year, huh? Well, you know what? We, we saw it last year. So this, is, this isn't something that's uh, new. It's just that we thought that in 2021 we would get away from – what we had in 2020, which was um, least amount of access that we probably ever have had in the NFL. And, you know, Jax, I'm always torn when it comes to this because I'm always pro player. I'm pro player first. I can't forget that I played in the NFL for eight years and I got to think about who, as a player first. 
But Jax, this is also my ninth year in broadcasting, meaning <laughs> I've now been a broadcaster longer than I played in the National Football League. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to lean now a little bit toward the media obligations of what needs to take place week in and week out. And who do you give it to, right? Like this, Correct. This is the oh, connection yeah. to the fandom, right? And, and, and but th- this is where I think the NFL has to make sure we, we, we do this right. Because the NFL was predominantly African-American males that played this sport. A lot of times, writers, journalists, people who cover, make up their own opinions, assumptions, thoughts about, say, player. Without even having to speak, without even speaking to that player. Right? How many times do people have made an assumption? Oh, oh, that guy's a, a this, or that guy's a that, or right. you know, he's he's too, you know, he's conceited, he's arrogant. So, have you ever sat down and had a conversation with that man? Have you ever sat down and just spoke with him and talked to him about, hey, what happened on that play? Instead of you thinking he's a he's a bonehead because he's make these plays, this is and that, and. I'm like, do you even know who he is? It's like, have you sat down and talked with him and said, hey, tell me about that play that you threw an interception on. And the guy can say, you know what? They gave us a too high shell. I had a wide receiver who was, you know, to my right. He won off the line of scrimmage, but he slipped on his break and the ball was already out of my hand. And the cornerback came in and, and picked it off. And instead of being able to write that, a person will write about that opinion of what they thought. And now... To me, people read that and they automatically make up assumptions about people. And the reason why I'm saying this, Jax, is because I was guilty of this. I was guilty of this in my own career. Mm. I was a rookie. I had never met Randy Moss a day in my life. Never met him. But seeing the way that media had portrayed him, you know, the, 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 if he didn't give you access, then people would write these stories. Mm-hmm. Randy Moss needs to grow up. He needs to mature. He needs to do this and do that. And then, you know, stuff, some of the straight cash, homie, just some of the stuff that I, I, I saw, Jax, I had never met the man. So I go in sort of with thoughts, but I wanted to see who he was. And I promise you, Jax, he walked in our locker room after being traded from Minnesota uh, to the Raiders. And first, I'm all googly eyed because, you know, obviously this is Randy Moss. But I sat, but I sat down as a rookie. And I said, you know, I sparked a conversation. Hey, what's up, Moss? How you doing, man? I mean, I know you got some of them Jordans over there laying for me. That, that was my conversation starter, but because he was part of Team Jordan. He had these shoes, Jacks, and he was like, all right, little youngin, we'll see. He went to work out. He came back, and I remember he kicked his shoes off. Say, hey, man, take these. I only wore them once, so make some use out of them. And there we started having conversations every day, Jacks. In those conversations, I was like, this isn't the same guy that I saw that the media portrayed. I was like, they're saying that this person is this, but yet he's a totally different guy. This is a guy who brings turkey bacon to work every day, Jack. He makes his own turkey bacon at home and brings it. But guess what? The media won't see that. They won't see the kind of person that he is. And so I think that's the hard part for me is that I don't want media and journalists and people to make assumptions about some of these players without having the access. That's what scares me the most when it comes to this policy 
is not being able to get the full story from players through because you only get that 10-minute Zoom with a player. Yeah. I'm torn. I, I know I you wanted, are. I, I know, I, yeah. I've wanted us out of the <laughs> locker room forever. You did. I, I don't think it is essential. Um, I, I, the days of guys getting the scoop kind of comes in a lot of yeah. the phone stuff oh, yeah. anyway. Now a lot of text messaging and DMing. Um, the stuff at the podium or the stuff at the locker is never the stuff that makes those breaking news or editorial columns anyway. So the scrum, the waiting, the nakedness, I'm, right. I'm cool. Like, let's be professional and go to the podium like we do in the playoffs. Like, that part of it, I'm cool with. The selection process is different for every team. That probably needs to be right. streamlined, right? Correct. Is that there's going to be some level of obviousness. We want, want the quarterback, want the head coach, right? Everything under that is probably give us a defensive star, give us a offensive star. If special teams came into play, let's let's get let's get the kicker in here. Um, we don't want that, Jax. That's all. That's all watered down, though, man. But but I'm oh, telling you from a game story down. standpoint, yeah. having to do that, the real issue is Wednesday and Thursday. Mm. Wednesday and Thursday access at the facility. It's a great point. Needs it's come like on that now. Game day. That's a great right? point. Yeah, there you is go. This every day. Way to move it forward. Yeah, way to move. You know it what I mean? Like that's where, and I haven't covered. An NFL team since 1995. Yeah. But those two days. Come on now. Monday. Yeah. <laughs> right after. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Wednesday and Thursday. Are you talking about Wednesday, the day that I go eat my lunch in the car during medium availability? <laughs> Where's you running from? I'm talking about. <laughs> Listen. As a player, but that the is days, the Yeah. Um, we That's got to be figured out. I don't even. We can do it outside. Right. I mean, I know some. I covered the Dolphins professionally, so yeah, I, outside was fine all the way through <laughs> December. So I know that's probably not the best case scenario um, for the majority of teams outside of the South, uh, East or West, or California going forward. But got to figure out those those non game day access dynamics that probably can create a balance. And listen, make rules right. Vaccinated, roll in testing at the cost of the reporter's uh, platform. Right. Whatever it is, let's make it safe. Let's get it done. Game day, I'm cool with, come on, let's get to this podium. Let's right. get this insight. Let's keep it moving. Uh, but, but during the week, that's when you're yeah doing background and, and also looking forward yeah uh, no, you know that's a great point um that, that that tuesday wednesday access is really something that uh you look forward to as as a as a media member i know uh me as well um but i know when i was a player i know those were the days i would try to hide a little bit because i didn't feel like talking every day but i understand mm -hmm. it now mm -hmm. and i think also too jackson the bigger thing for me i think i'm just one I, i'm in protection of the players i i don't like to see players seen in a bad light Sometimes, you know, that, that media access after a game, if you're a win, if you win, everybody's excited to talk when you lose, it's more difficult. Right. And we've seen it with other players. Right. Remember, we had this conversation about Naomi Osaka, right. Even in tennis, 
here she is if she loses a match or a set and then afterward hey how'd, why'd you lose that set or what's going on and some guys and some people are just are not ready to have that conversation yet so what does that policy look like on tuesday and wednesday and are we making sure we're keeping the players in the best of light or talking about them in the best of light and if there's criticism yes there's criticism but make sure the criticism is about the play on the field right. and not the person and i think that's something that i think tends to jacks it, it people don't understand that enough i feel like some people make assumptions about who players and people are without actually having that conversation with them uh let's not hate team uh media by the way we get it no. done we do but it. i have never it. seen a we team get it up there we get it posted we get you all the goods I want them unbiased opinions, man. I, that's the fun thing. <laughs> Me and you were talking you about what this You know what you're going to get, though, that I think would be great from the teams. What? The teams need to continue to facilitate um, this this injustice and inequality discussion. Okay. That whenever guys want to sit down, tell their tale. We have a, uh, a, a series with the Miami Heat called Speak the Truth. Okay. We, now our presentation will be at the beginning of the year. At any point. As a player, you feel strongly about something and you want to get it off your chest, you just holler. Yeah. You just holler. That's the way that goes. We'll, we'll set up, we crank up the cameras and, and we'll get it cut up and we'll get it out there. Um, that's maintain the that, yes. that opening at all times. Correct. Um, that's what I would challenge the teams with that exclusive access to get done. No, I agree with that uh, 100%. Being able to still have your voice. Um, yeah. and be able to go out and do that, which is great. I'm just more about all of these preseason team websites. I've never seen a negative play yet. Yeah. Everything is always <laughs> good plays, Jax. At least, let, hey, not every play was a touchdown in practice. All right, come on now. Let's go team media sites. It's okay to have a bad play here and there. Don't make it perfect because then when the season starts, it ain't perfect. And now I'm looking right. at what happened. Well, that'll be, that'll be omission. <laughs> <laughs> that time, at that point, you know, we just put up the final slate. It's a final. Yeah. See you oh, next man. week. And then you get the one. Oh, the one I love the most. What's that? See you on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> That's my favorite, baby. That's it. Man. Or That's see it. you on Wednesday, right? Yeah, Wednesday. Wednesday. Brother, two days off. Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Wednesday. That's the best one. <laughs> Who, Andy Reid, right? Is oh, he yeah. the one that really? The best see you on Wednesday, man. And they go nuts. Like That's it. the best three words in football. Yeah, best three words in football. See you Wednesday. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick break. When we come back on Forward Progress, it's James Cadogan. He's the executive director of the National Basketball uh, Coalition on Social Justice. Uh, it's been a year, Kirk, since they started this fantastic organization. Uh -huh. And I mean with some ballers on that commission. Oh, yeah. They got a nice that coalition list. Else. Uh, we'll talk with James about uh, the year that was and what's ahead as we continue here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. Forward Progress continues. It's Morrison, it's Jackson, and it's Cadogan with us. That's right, James Cadogan. He's the executive director of the Social Justice Coalition for uh, the National Basketball Association, Players Association, all together in this wonderful experience. James, welcome to the program. We just celebrated the foundation uh, not too long ago this month. And then there was the offshoot of this very particular and specific space, a unique partnership between the association and its players. I feel like as someone who's been covering this league for 25 years, 
uh, that in this last iteration of relationships between these two groups, uh, particularly with Silver and Roberts, this is the stuff that has emerged more than maybe in earlier relationships that are a little more contentious and didn't have all of this heavy weighted societal change as a part of the league. Walk us through your last year, sir. Well, first, uh, just Jason Kirk, thanks for having me. This is uh, really exciting to be a part of this conversation and to be able to talk about the work we're doing at the National Basketball Social Justice Coalition. And to your, your point, Jason, the context is king in, in all situations, I like to say. And I think you're exactly right that the social justice moment that we are in and the reawakening that we have seen over the course of basically the past year on racial justice and social justice in America has created unprecedented opportunity for individuals, communities, and corporations, and now sports leagues to engage and to be able to play their rightful part in helping make our world a better place. And to me, that that's the, the, the bottom baseline mission of the Social Justice Coalition. It was founded, as you said, a year ago uh, in the wake of uh, so many tragedies, particularly black men, women, and children being killed by police and our players, but people across the league community ecosystem saying that we need to do something differently. We need an institutional presence, that it's not enough just to have individuals stand up, but as an organization and as a community and a set of corporate interests, we, we have a way to engage in the social justice policy making process. And so that's where the coalition came about. Mm-hmm. And to your point, to have Adam Silver and Michelle Roberts and our governors and our players, the league and the PA, our coaches be represented to have those 15 board members mm-hmm. um, come together and say, this is how we want to move forward as a community. That That's rare and that's unprecedented for social justice to be the place where so many different constituencies say, we want to do this work and we're going to do it hand in hand. So that's what's most exciting to me. You know, James, I think the biggest thing is that you bring a ton of experience. You bring a ton of knowledge. And when I'm looking at some of the things that you've accomplished in the past, how do you bring together what you've done, especially in Washington? You know, when you, when people throw out the name Washington, I'm not talking about the state. I'm not talking about just D.C. I'm talking about being around the government. How in bringing that aspect of the social justice conversation and bringing that to a professional sport? It's a perfect question because uh, honestly, that's our mission at the coalition is because so often in social justice movements, we see incredible grassroots organizing, particularly by communities of color that open up the space for a new conversation. But what we don't as often see after that is the investment of resources and you had my, my colleague greg taylor on here to talk about the mba foundation and thinking about that kind of grant making but we especially don't see thinking about policy making and legislation that will actually help change how we govern ourselves okay what does it look like to have accountability on policing what does it look like for us to try and dismantle mass incarceration how do we make sure that our infrastructure on voting rights gives everybody free and open and fair access to the ballot, our, our most fundamental democratic right? Those are the things that we don't usually put the policy attention on, and we don't spend as much time as we should. And in my view, the most important thing we can do is turn people power into public policy. 
And so being able to take the protests of last year that so many of our players and members of our community were engaged in and helped drive in their communities and say, it's not just about that protest moment, but that's critical. It's what do we do with the political power that's been given to us by that protest? How do we go into legislatures and state houses and say, this is what we want to see on behalf of our community? And so that to me is, is why we do this work. In my experience, you know, I'm an old government hand, like campaigns, <laughs> politics, <laughs> right. worked to the U.S. Department of Justice for a long time, worked in advocacy. But to me, they're all different seats at the same table. But once you've been on the side of the table with institutional power, being outside of it and trying to help figure out how we make those institutions respond to community need, uh, that's the most important thing that, that, that I could do. So uh, I, I draw on all of those years, I draw on those political fights, I draw on that administrative experience to try and, uh, and help uh, lead this part of our, our, our community social impact work and make sure we're really thinking about the public policy space, changing laws, changing policies and entrenching what we want to see and what we've been demanding from a community standpoint. James Cadogan is the executive director of the National Basketball Social Justice Coalition, our guest here on Forward Progress today. How are you looking at this next season, the first 82-game season in a couple of seasons, and looking at its vastness in more than just the space that we usually focus on these subjects, which tends to be February, making this a full calendar experience for players, teams, governors, fans in a way that it doesn't do. And the commissioner's been very, very clear on this point. <laughs> and, and I think smart too, that the league still respects there are people that just want to watch the game. But we've got to weave this stuff in because it's important to many of the constituents that I just listed. To me, this next year sets the tone for what we do for the next five and potentially the next 10 going forward. Mm. Because the past couple of years, they've been different. We've had a global pandemic, we've had shortened seasons, we've had the bubble, and all of that has, it, it's concentrated a lot of these conversations in that. And in many ways, it's unclear whether or not we would have been able to step into the space of having a social justice coalition and doing this advocacy without that. Right. As they say, pressure makes diamonds. And that was so pressure packed seasons, mm -hmm. as well as uh, the American population and globally, everybody dealing with the fact that we were in quarantine, we were thinking about the, uh, the ravages of COVID-19. That created something unique. And I think the response to it was unique. I, I think back seven years to 2014 and Ferguson, Missouri. I was at the U.S. Department of Justice at that time in the Civil Rights Division when uh, my colleague prosecutors went to investigate what happened in Michael Brown's death and what we could actually do about it with the tools we had available to us as the U.S. Department of Justice. And that moment, to me, is where we kicked off this renewed moment of civil rights advocacy and engagement and a renewed sense of of possibility and a public demand for racial justice that we haven't seen in, in quite some time. Like to me, that's the trajectory, but where we are now in 2021 is just very different. We're going 
back to work. We're hopefully getting back to some semblance of normalcy and health. But, but the idea of us being able to do social justice work outside the pandemic, that's different. That's new. So to sustain that work through an 82-game season, to make sure that all of our constituencies are able to engage in the way that makes sense for them, we're doing a couple of things. Number one, we're going to continue to aggressively pursue and support legislation that reflects MBA community values. And so we started with the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act, incredibly important accountability measures on the federal level. We'll continue to lobby and support of that bill and see where things go, but provide community support and the MBA voice uh, where it makes sense. We have uh, taken a strong stand on voting rights last cycle, and I know you both were aware, but for your listeners, uh, 23 MBA facilities were made available as polling and registration locations uh, during the 2020 election cycle. That's an incredible commitment of physical plant and resources for our democratic norms to make sure there are spaces and places where we can all go and register, where we can go and cast our ballot. That's critically important. We're going to continue to advocate for open and expansive and fair elections and push back against voter suppression that we've seen state by state by state. And then on criminal justice more broadly, there are so many areas where we know we need to make a fundamental change to our system, a system that has caused 2.2 million people to be incarcerated in prisons. 200,000 in the federal system alone, 2 million in our state systems, and then in our jails, 475,000 a day, which is about three and a quarter million a year rotating in and out of our jails. That reach and that touch, it's got to be addressed. And so what we have in the, in the league is teams who are engaged, a coalition that's engaged, leadership from the league office, leadership from the PA side, and our biggest and best resource, our players. And so the more that we use all of those diverse voices to tackle those issues, whether they're federal, state, or local, that's how we continue that engagement. That's how it's sustained. And it's not just a flash in the pan. It's not just a pandemic moment of awareness, but it's a renewed sense of what our corporate responsibility is in the public sphere. You know, James, how do you... um when it comes to the misconception uh, of NBA players, when it comes to the negative criticism that a ton of them may face, you know, the whole shut up and dribble, hey, you guys are rich basketball players, just just worry about your sport, stay over there. How do you shoot down those negative criticisms and misconceptions when it comes to the players? It's got a point to history. To me, one of the most compelling things that you can do is look back at the history uh, certainly in the NBA, but more broadly in sports and entertainment of people with platforms, whether they're large or small, using whatever power they had in the public square to say, I think something is wrong and we need to change it. In our history at the NBA, you look back at Bill Russell fighting for civil rights. You look back at the Cleveland summit, you you think about uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and everything that he did throughout his career and beyond to this day to advocate for social and racial justice. You look at Oscar Robertson fighting for economic empowerment, but those names, you know, they echo through history, but there are so many other players who are either alongside them or who have come after them, who have done their part in that unbroken chain of folks who have stood up and said, we can do better. And once you start contextualizing that history for people and, re- and reminding folks that you know, racism didn't start in 2020, 
and black communities protesting against racism didn't start in 2020. Then we start to really like situate our efforts today, our obligation, our responsibility, and our legacy uh, in, in, a, in a fuller and clearer light. To me, that's the most important thing. Like those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it. So like, my, my exhortation, my encouragement to everybody is be a student of that history and know that what we're doing now, um, that is a direct outgrowth of the work that so many people, particularly in the black community, did in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and 60s, that too often get reduced to those February sound bites, right? And that, those moments that you talked about, Jason. Instead, what we need to do is continue this sustained engagement and use what we have at our disposal to do our part uh, in this latest chapter in history. James Cadogan is the executive director of the National Basketball Social Justice Coalition. You've alluded to your coalition a couple of times. I want to say the names. I, I want our listeners to know who's a part of this with you. Player-wise, Carmelo Anthony, Avery Bradley, Sterling Brown, uh, Donovan Mitchell, Carl Anthony Towns, uh, from the general partners to managing general partners to chairman to governors, you have my favorite, Mickey Harrison. Uh, you have Steve Ballmer, uh, Clay Bennett, uh, Mark Lassery. All right, champ, I see you there, as well as Vivek. And then you have uh, Coach Pierce, and I'm so glad, uh, regardless of coach employment, right. uh, to have the, the gold medalists. We'll, we'll make that plain as a part of your crew, as well as Doc Rivers and Commissioner Silver. What do you love about working with this group? Two more in there, Deputy Commissioner Mark Tatum and Michelle Roberts, our, uh, our union executive. You know, second page. That's right. My there bad. you go. <laughs> you have such goodness, it rolled into the, the next page. My apologies, but talk to me about this grandness. Um, it, it's an incredibly powerful group. Yeah. That's a lot that you can get five players of that stature, five of our team governors, uh, our legal leadership, our union leadership, and our coaches all involved and committed to finding a way forward on social justice. We, we've had social impact work at the league for a long time. You all know MBA cares well in our, our social responsibility platform, which has been incredibly strong. Uh, we've got team side foundations and team social responsibility uh, operations. Now our new MBA foundation too. But for everybody to come together and say, uh, one of the things that we know we need to do to be responsive in this moment is engage in the political sphere. That's new. Right? And not too many organizations, uh, I'm, I'm not sure there's any other organization that has devoted these kinds of resources to a specific 501c4 entity that is designed to engage in the political process, that is designed to think about social justice policy on behalf of our sports league community. That's a lot. And so to have those 15 leaders uh, be there to put their capital on the line, their reputations to say that we are committing to this on behalf of our larger community is huge. And, and just in case it's not clear, these are all people who have very different opinions on politics. They have very different opinions on the way that we might move forward on one issue or another. And that's the best part about having a board is that you get to talk those things through. Just like being at the kitchen table and talking about family issues, like sometimes you, you got to really hash things out and say, what's best for us collectively? And how do we want to raise our voice once we go out here? That, that's just uh, playing as a team. And so having those 15 folks as, uh, as leaders on our team on social justice is pretty incredible. 
you know, James, you worked with the Obama administration. Then all of a sudden you go through, we, well, I think we all went through the Trump years, right? And now we do have a new administration in there now currently. How much does, does things change or have to be repaired from what was probably there the last four years and now moving forward to this new administration and bringing together where the NBA is at now currently? Yeah, so, I mean, it's no secret that we made a, a lot of, uh, took a lot of backward steps in the last administration on justice policy that was was really sad to see. Uh, and certainly the most important is the, the impact that the, that kind of change to justice policy has on communities across the country. And then if, like me, you worked as part of the Obama administration and uh, lived, ate, breathed, and slept civil rights and social justice and thinking about how we create a more f- fair open and just society, then it's incredibly painful to see that retrenchment. But with this new administration, uh, we have a big opportunity. And and one of the things that that is most important to remember, especially on criminal justice, is that there's actually a lot of bipartisan momentum uh, on criminal justice that has helped fuel the movement for the past several years. And that's where we're going to see a lot of the legislative uh, uh, possibilities uh, in days to come. So to me, we got to take advantage of those moments. Like more people are rightfully recognizing that criminal justice reform is not a partisan issue, that it should be something that everybody, regardless of your position on the political spectrum, supports. Because incarceration without reason doesn't make any sense. The the systemic racism that we know exists in our carceral system is something both Republicans and Democrats want to root root out. And leaders on that that have been from across the political spectrum, which is very very important. But with the Biden administration, uh, they've made some really important commitments and have been very clear about that justice policy is one of their top priorities, which is really important. So we plan to be supportive where it makes sense and make sure that as we dig into policing, as we dig into justice practice, as we dig into voting rights, like we are gathering as many allies as we can from all parts of the, the, the political field, but we're always going to be guided by NBA values. Everybody's not going to agree on everything, and everything is not always going to be as bipartisan as we would like. So our North Star is going to be what makes sense for the NBA, what reflects our community values, what's going to be best for our constituents. James Cadogan, the executive director of the National Basketball Social Justice Coalition. My friend, you're welcome anytime. You tell Miss Kelsey Boyd, whatever you want to be on the program, <laughs> Please. call Purnell and you get a front row seat. All right? She is the best. I appreciate you all so much. Thanks for, uh, for having me on. And uh, look forward to continuing to watch and listen as you uh, continue the series. Thanks so much. We love it. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, uh, you know it's important, Kirk, being a father and husband of track enthusiasts. Yeah. <laughs> to get in what's going on with Miss Richardson. We will get down. We will get set. And we'll discuss what's happening with Shikari when we return here on Forward Progress. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. That's right. We're still here. We're still locked in. And we want to take care of our sister, Shakari Richardson. Yeah. Um, sometimes tough love on the show, but we'll see. We'll see how this rolls out. Um, this world-class sprinter who obviously missed out on competing in Tokyo uh, because of a positive marijuana test returned after a month 
out of sight, really. I mean, right. obviously the Olympics was going on and all the competitions focused in on, uh, on what was happening in Tokyo. Um, the, the Prefontaine classic that not on my radar, but you know, the, the track heads know all about it and they were right. there and, uh, she had a disappointing finish. Let's just bottom line, um, finish last and, um, ninth of nine in the women's final. Uh, had a slow start and then obviously faded in, in the midst, um, to say that it's not uh, been a that it's been a difficult year is an understatement. She came at us with a very interesting tweet following that space. Yeah, only way from ninth is up. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I love I the love spirit, it, right? Yeah. But the conversation I'm having with my track people, which includes my oldest son, uh, my wife, and and many others who really love that sport. Is are we what what is the shelf life here? Right? I I, I want to get I want to take a little bit of our standard conversation and put it to the side for a second and just talk about people in your end who competed, my end who's been covering competitors for uh the entirety of my adult life. This type of performance for me would render her irrelevant. Like I, the only way she would come back on my radar as a decision maker of what's important wouldn't be the nails and the hair color and the unique voice or even the affable funness that she brings to the equation. You, you right. gotta, you gotta finish first. Yeah. You, you, you not only battle at least to the tape. Um, I would kind of be, this would be a flash in the pan designation for me. Am I being harsh? No, you're not being harsh. I think you're being real. Um, for me, Shikari knew what the rules were back when we talked about her heading to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. She smoked marijuana. And a lot of people said that, well, marijuana should be legal. And this is and that. And you had all those people. Okay, that's fine. Right. But in order to be in this race, you can't do that. And she decided to do it anyway. Right. That was the one thing that I was upset with her. Hey, if you whatever you want to do, you can do whatever, right? That's fine. You can do whatever. Right after, after your order, race. Yeah, right, right after your race, though. These are the rules. Right. She broke them. Okay? Now, everybody else didn't break them. She broke them. And then for a lot of people were like upset because they wanted to see her run and things like that. And I get it. I, I wanted to see her run. She does have a personality, something that is fun. Oh, that you fun, see her fun in the flare, right. yeah. But I think this re recent race for her was uh took us back even more because everybody was you know kind of going for her like okay she missed the olympics but let's see shikari a little bit more because i'm gonna be honest with you i didn't really know her but the story made me want to follow her a little more and so i didn't know how fast she was where would she have been all of that and so now a lot of people who never never really followed her story were like okay let's see where let's see her run let's see what this is about right and for her to come in last, we're like, whoa, 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 whoa. We're making this big fuss about all that you've done and you come in last? Like, oh, no, 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 no. But to your point, she is very humble about, the, about this. She's humble and saying, you know what? I, I think she got, she got humbled. She got embarrassed. She came out and she felt that, oh, I'm one of the fastest. No, you're not. You broke the rule. 
And I understand that she was dealing with some things in front of terms of her uh, grandmother, or I think her mother or grandmother, I, I believe. And, you know, dealing with that and coping with that. And I understand that that's a hard loss for her. But I think now, having gone through all of this, Jax, she got to go to the lab. She got to go to the lab and get right now in terms of her focus is now about getting better because I think she's been on the media circus. She's been around. So many people are going at different angles. Her focus should be, I'm going to be not only the best person, but now the best track athlete. I, her interview said it like, I can't wait to go back out because I'm not going nowhere. And that motivation to see her succeed is something that I'm going to follow over the next three years until we have our next Olympic games. Listen, she's 21 years old. Yep. Uh, the debate that I was absolutely harsh in <laughs> was when it was thrown in my face that she's the sixth fastest woman in history. Mm -hmm. I said, what? And? <laughs> like, we, we're not talking. Like, who gets sixth? Yeah. And we go, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'll get to three and then I'm through. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, listen, she had a great race. Um, back in April that right. made her jump off the street. I mean, she right. ran times that men would love to have on their resume. Right. Um, I just don't, I, I'm not with the group that's like, can't wait to see her in the next race. I won't even watch the next race. Right. Make me watch. Yeah. And then be legendary. Like yeah. that's, that's where you win. Correct. So she has a big bounce back performance. Cool. You can call me whatever. I'll be bandwagon jacks or whatever you want me to be, because I will be right there. But I will see it on tape. You're right. <laughs> because I'm out right now. Yeah. I'm out. And it's not me. It, listen, it's not my place in this space or as a basketball guy who loves baseball uh, to even get into the depth of what these track and field monsters get into. Um, but yeah, she, I, I think. I think it was Allison Felix who said it. Um, Richardson needs some support, but that should be family, friends, and her fans. And then, oh, by the way, get to work. Yeah. Like, we got to do this work, man. It doesn't, and, and that may be where her inner inexperience is not necessarily um, aiding her in the best way. Just inexperience as a human being. I'm just, like, you're young. You're learning lessons the hard way and in front of other people. That's that's not that's not awesome. But that is also the job. Yeah. So um, I'm I'm glad that her fans rally around her. I know Felix wants all of us to do it. I'm. Correct. It's simple. Go run and go win. Yeah. You sound like uh, you know what you sound like, right? Because <laughs> I know you're a Cleveland Browns fan, so yeah. you sound like what y'all was doing with uh, with Baker Mayfield, right? <laughs> Remember when he was in all those commercials? It was like, look, go play quarterback, go win games. Don't worry about being a superstar. Don't listen. worry about all that that come. Hey, that will come. It will come as listen, you. I ain't win. mad at the man. <laughs> Progressive called him. I'm sure. Yeah. Hey, we understand it. I get it. You don't turn the opportunities down. But I think in a situation where she sort of became an overnight superstar, she was already good at what she did, but she came overnight and became a national superstar, maybe even a world superstar, right? 
and everybody she's was got like, the personality. Oh yeah, to do it all, dude. But I think now she realizes I gotta go to I gotta go to work because now not only are you, I guess, training to win, people are training just to beat you. I'm in the race with Shakari now. Oh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Because if they come in to see her, I got to show out now. So now she's kind of got two bullseyes on her, right? One of everybody who's envious of the celebrity that she has now gained, mm -hmm. but also two, she's got a race against the clock now. She's got a race against all the stuff that's around her and keep that focus. And now she's another story for us to focus on, Jax, as we always do with many of our young athletes. <sighs> Man, she brought so much attention to the sport that so yeah. many people in my life love. And she potentially could be the star for a, really a long, like a decade. I mean, she is, she's yeah. that young, right? There was Correct. two more Olympics available. At least, right. And even the laws might change, you know? Plus, she was good <laughs> in Eugene, by the way. She could she do whatever she wanted up there in Oregon. Oh, yeah, she was good. She just can't be good when it's time to go race. <laughs> and I'm just, I don't flip out about the weed, but I do flip out about what you know full well are the policies. Like, right. come on now. Right. And... and and what she could have been for Team USA, particularly in the relays. I'm not going to put the weight of all this on her, but you do let your team down. Yeah. And all of that is the backdrop. And then you get in the blocks for the first time in a minute. And you don't give us what we need. She's done a good job. or She has good people around her that at least let her release the pressure through, you know, a little frivolity. But at the same time. As uh, I remember from one of the great moments in Hard Knocks, my <laughs> man Marvin Lewis turned to an underperforming room after a preseason game and said, be a bleeping pro. Oh, yeah. Be a pro. Yeah. What Marvin meant by that, what I mean by that is 6 a.m., get to work. Yeah. yeah. That five-sevenths <laughs> of your time, you're working on not finishing last. That I got all these people... In this house telling me, you're the best thing. I don't even need my bread sliced anymore. Right. <laughs> and every time I turn around, it's underwhelming. So, um, yeah, I'm being grumpy old man today. No. I he appreciates the tough love. I want nothing more than her, for her to, uh, to be successful. But in the meantime, it needs to be more than that millennial, I showed up, right? Right. Right? It's great to be back, right? No, no. Yeah. Now it's about winning. Now it's about going back and regaining what you felt should have been yours. And that will be a story in itself because the story is already starting to be written. But how are you going to end the chapter and what's the next chapter going to look like? And then what is the end book going to be? Because Shakari Richardson ain't going nowhere. And I want to make sure that that book is nice and filled up yeah. with uh, redemption. We're going to see. We're going to see. <laughs> she said, talk all the bleep you want because I'm here to stay. Well, oh, we yeah. did. At least I did. <laughs> We're through. That's it. So glad uh, that we're back together. Uh, James Cadogan from uh, the National Basketball Coalition on Social Justice. Great to have him by. He can come back anytime. Anytime. I'm so excited for that. For our producer, Pernell Brown, that's my partner, Kirk Morrison. I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time.